kind of one of those times where uh, it's just like the family comes in, sits together on the couch, and we just rejoice in the holiday. No holiday, but God is on the throne. And let's be captivated. We are in Exodus 17. Exodus 17, the second half of the chapter. And get this, family. We are covering nine verses today. Now, if you've been around here for this Exodus series, that's a shock. In fact, uh, last week we covered two and a half chapters last week. And so a, a, a viable question is, hey, Doug, uh, why such a short text today? That's a good question. Answer. Because I think that the events that take place in these nine verses just serve as a tremendous opportunity to highlight the journey of redemption that has been taking place in the life of the Israelites. And I think a pattern shows that continues to today. So one of the things we could do with this text is we could key in on just the activity of the text and the story. I think the problem with that, though, is we lose sight of where these people have come from and what God is now doing with them. Listen, what happens in our text today, it's completely like any other time we've seen in Exodus so far. So I want to make sure that we don't miss it and that we see it and we get it and enjoy it because Exodus is a redemption story. It's about a God taking people from one place to another place. And we've been seeing this. In fact, the slide highlights the trek that we've been seeing taking place so far. It's a here to there story. It's not just geographical. This is about life transformation. Not just life transformation of an individual or a couple individuals. This is about life transformation of a whole entity of people. And there's a process with it. It's about being redeemed and living redeemed and learning what all of that is about in Exodus. So, let's remember... That so far, the Israelites have been in Egypt for about 400 years. They've been slaves in Egypt for all this time. And they've been, for all practical purposes, really a polytheistic group of people. They've been more Egyptian than they have what we typically think of Hebrews in the Old Testament worshiping Yahweh. These have been polytheistic, uh, living in a foreign country, slaves of Pharaoh for Pharaoh's glory. And we've been watching this transformation take place that God's been doing a great work in them because God shows up at a time just when he sovereignly planned it to do. In fact, he had told Abraham that he was going to be doing it at that time. And he begins this amazing process of transforming these polytheistic foreigner slaves for Pharaoh's glory into people that are God's servants for his glory in a promised land. It's an amazing, amazing story. I mean, think of this, from polytheists to theists that are worshiping Yahweh. That in itself is an amazing transformation. Then we've got these people living in a foreign land to going to be living in the promised land. And then we've got these people who are slaves to Pharaoh, now who are becoming servants of Yahweh. <laughs> it's just incredible. 
And so today, we're going to get nine verses just so that we remember and see the transformation that's taking place, okay? So as I said earlier in our time here, we've been seeing a pattern and a process. And I want to lay the pattern out to you here in the beginning. And it's this. I think there's four things that are happening on this redemption journey. Number one is revelation. God has been showing himself to the people. God has been showing himself to the Israelites ever since Moses came on the scene in Egypt after being at the uh, Mount Sinai. Moses comes into Egypt and begins talking with Pharaoh. The Israelites become aware of this, that God, the I am, is going to be doing something with them. That all the way through the nine plagues, God, the Israelites are over in the land of Goshen and they're just watching God be God and learning what you, who Yahweh is and what he's about and what he has for them. It's been just, it's an amazing track to there. And then after that, we begin seeing this process where God says, listen, are you going to participate with me? It's gone from God revealing himself, showing himself, to now the question being asked in the 10th plague at Passover. At the 10th plague in Passover, God at that point in time, he says, listen, here's what you're to do. Because everything before that has been God just showing himself. They've just basically been living and seeing and watching. Now in the 10th plague, God says at this point in time, listen, I have a question for you. Are you going to participate with me? In other words, are you going to sacrifice a lamb, take the blood, and are you going to put it over your house? And then are you going to stay hunkered down in your house, covered by the blood, because I'm going to be coming and my judgment's going to be passing over Egypt, and those who have the blood covering the door frames of their houses, and they stay within their house covered under that blood, I'm going to pass over them, but I'm going to bring my judgment upon those who don't. Question, are you going to participate with me in this? And they had a choice. They had a choice. This was the first real time they had a choice for it. God was revealing himself, and then God says, are you going to participate? Are you going to choose to be on my team? We've seen that happen. Then after that, really, uh, the participation continues all the way through the crossing of the Red Sea. Remember, the people, they're just going. God is showing, and, and through this, they didn't have to leave, but they decided they had a choice to leave, so they leave. They cross the Red Sea, they get to the other side of the Red Sea, as we talked about last week. I think this is where God is now helping them realize some things, the realization of what life with him is really all about. They've gone from God showing himself to God saying, listen, are you going to participate with me? Yes, I am. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to come along. We're going to cross in the Red Sea, and then we're going to come over here, and now it's like God's like, okay, I got you right where I want you, and now I want to show you some stuff. Because I want to show you your heart, and I want to show you what it's like to live with me. And God, remember, puts the thirst and the hunger and the thirst again for them. And today, our text today, these nine verses begin highlighting what I think is the fourth step, the formation. Because what we're going to see today is God has shown himself, or we've seen God has shown himself, God asked them to participate, God is helping them realize what it's like to live with Yahweh, what he expects with them. If you remember in chapter 15, God says, this is a test, I want to find out if you're going to obey my statutes or not. And now we start seeing God forming these people into something like they have never been so far. Okay? That's where we're going today, Formation. Let me pray and let's get rolling. God, thank you so much for the reality of your goodness in our lives. Lord, I pray as we worship you in uh, your word here that you would help us to catch you 
more and more. We are grateful for your word, and uh, we honor you, and we worship you, and may you be strong today in Christ's name. Amen. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. You ready? Okay, wait a second. Before we go to these nine verses, I need to highlight three people for you. Doug, can you just like get to the nine verses? Okay, hang on, hang on. Okay, because in our text today, we've got three people we've never met before, and I want to set them up before we go through it so we can just go through these nine verses. Here's the three people. The first is Amalek, the second is Joshua, and the third is who? Her. Not him, her. Okay, Amalek. Amalek is the great, great grandson of Abraham. Okay, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah had who? (laughs) Hang in there, troops. Jacob and Esau, twins. Okay, they had Jacob and Esau. Now, if you remember this, Jacob and Esau from the womb, and if you don't know the story, great, you're learning it now. Jacob and Esau in the womb were fighting it tells Rebecca, like, what is going on in there? And God tells us that they literally were fussing with each other in the womb. And you think you've got struggle, struggles with your little ones. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. In the womb, and they come out fighting, grabbing on the heel and all this. And Esau is born first, Jacob second. Now, we jump ahead a number of years. Esau is out in the fields working. Esau's Gaston. Gaston comes in to the house. He's tired, hot, and bothered through all this. He comes inside, and there's Jacob at the stove cooking dinner and stew. And Esau, being the sharpest crayon in the box, not... He says, listen, uh, Jacob cons him. By the way, Jacob was an incredible con guy, schemer through his entire life, frankly. And in this, at this moment, Jacob seizes the scheming opportunity and cons his brother to give him his firstborn birthright to him for a bowl of stew. Fool Esau. Now, that takes place, and we see, I think it's in Genesis 27, where it says that uh, Esau... uh, looked on his birthright with anger. Why? (laughs) Because he lost it. Okay, here's the deal. They fought in the womb, they fought as kids, and they fought after that. Now, Jacob and Esau, Jacob's name becomes Israel. Jacob is the line of the Israelites. Esau, Esau's grandson is Amalek. Okay? So we see this division taking place. Amalek comes from a fussing with Jacob background. They don't like each other. He's part of the Amalekites. Uh, in living in this area that's in the northern Sinai region here that's depicted for you. Somewhere in that area, there were roamers. They were known as vicious, violent fighters. They were not God-fearers at all. And we're going to find them today. They come down and they uh, get in a battle with Israel with the Israelites. So that's Amalek. Second person is Joshua. Joshua, it's very, very interesting because in the movie, it shows that Moses and Abraham, or I'm sorry, Moses and Joshua already had this relationship going and we learn all this stuff about Joshua in, in the Ten Commandments movie. But in the scripture, we know nothing about Joshua until this passage here. We just know this. Joshua is probably right around the age of 45. And there is something about Joshua that Moses sees in him. Because Moses here picks him for a significant task. 
that's ahead. Joshua becomes a military genius and a spiritual giant. Joshua becomes Moses' successor. Moses hands over the reins to Joshua later on down the road. Joshua is an Israelite. Amalek is not. Then the third person is her. Her is, uh, we really don't know much about this guy. We know two passages about him. Exodus chapter 17, where we're going today. We know a little bit about him. And then we also know in Exodus 24. In both of these passages, we see him as a key leadership position. We don't know much about it beyond that other than this. He is someone who's significant in the process of God forming the Israelites here. And we're going to see him. You ready? We're actually going to go to the text now. Okay, it's about 12 minutes into it, and we're actually going to go to the text. But how many verses are we covering? Nine. So we're in good shape. Let's go. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Now, if you remember from last week, Rephidim, if you go to the beginning of chapter 17, Rephidim is the place where the Israelites are at. They just had the second thirsting issue. Okay? They just had the second thirsting issue. So then Amalek comes, and the Amalekites come, and they fight. We don't know much else about the strategy of this fight in this text, but we do over in Deuteronomy 25. So hang a right, go over a couple books. So it's Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy 25. Go to Deuteronomy 25, and let's look at verse 17. Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. Verse 17 says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt? That's talking about this point, this time, this text in Exodus 17, verse 18, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary. Remember the beginning of chapter 7 from last week? They were thirsty. They're tired. It's been about two months-ish on the journey that they've been going. He attacked you when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail. In other words, the attack came from around the backside of the movement of the, of the Israelites uh, and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind, and he did not fear God. That's all we know. He didn't fear God. They came, they attacked, and it makes sense. I mean, here's these two million people coming into the realms of your territory. I think this was a trespassing coverage. I mean, as far as you know, especially when you're a vicious fighter, they're going to come around in back and they're going to take you down. Verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, here's Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Okay, get this. Here is, here is Moses. He learns that there's this attack being uh, in process, coming from around behind. So he goes and he picks a guy. He grabs a guy. Hey, Ben Dykstra, come here for a second. Uh, ben is Joshua. Everybody for Joshua? That is not very, uh, that was kind of like, everybody for, for Joshua here? All right, Ben. Now, Ben, I pick Ben because I know Ben does construction and he manages a crew and he's in this process of like building the, the world's largest facilities on the planet. So he's the kind of guy I would want to have put together some stuff. Well, Moses goes and he grabs Joshua. Why would Moses grab Joshua to put together a men for an army? I don't quite know other than this. Listen, something he saw in Joshua to go grab this guy. 
and to use them. This guy was showing some stuff that took place. That's just, um, that's an assumption. And so Moses goes and grabs Joshua and he grabs them and he puts them and he gives them this task. Joshua, I want for you to grab men from the Israelites, 2 million of us or 600,000 ish men. I want for you to go grab some men and put together an army. Will you do that? Awesome. See, that's why I picked him. Okay. See, and it picked, oh, and by the way, you got one day. (laughs) And that's what Joshua does. Okay. Grab a seat right here just for a second, Ben. Okay. I'm going to use you here in a minute. Everybody else is getting real scared. All the guys, at least. Okay, so here's what he did. Moses picks Joshua. He, he selects him. He gives him one day to put together an army. Are you kidding me? Listen, we cannot forget, and this is the big picture reality. We cannot forget these people have been slaves all their life. They've not been trained in warfare. They've not been trained in hand-to-hand combat. I mean, the Egyptians, the, the, the dumbest thing they could do is to train their slaves in hand-to-hand combat. And here are these people, it's like, I don't know, do they pick up a sword and not know what to do with it? I'm sure they do. But in this process, so it, it's an incredible task that they have before them. So choose first men, and uh, Moses is going to go with the staff of God. We'll get to that here in just a minute verse 10 so joshua did as moses told him just like he said way to go ben so joshua did as moses told and fought with amalek while moses aaron and her all right jc you're moses ben come on all right come on bud all right here we go here, I got some men here. I would like to introduce you to Moses. Is this a guy you want to follow? If nothing else is a chiropractor, everybody's feeling good on the way. Exactly. All right, then here we have, we're going to go with her, all right? Because this is a construction guy, and he needs a manly name like her, Okay. And then we have Aaron right here, okay? So Aaron, why don't you guys come on up, just kind of hunker down there for a minute, all right, on the stage. So Moses, Aaron, and her, what do they do? Verse 10, so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. So Joshua, uh, actually, Ben, why don't you come on around over here because you're fighting, okay? So Joshua is over fighting. Moses, Aaron, and her went up on top of the hill. Okay, guys, this is the hill. Went up on top of the hill. Why don't you move the, move the stand back a little bit. Went on top of the hill. And whenever Moses held up his hand, oh, by the way, Moses needs a staff, right? Now, this, this, the staff has been the power and the presence of God before them through this whole time period, okay, with what's been taking place. And so Joshua is somewhere out on the battlefield, perfect spot. Somewhere out on the battlefield here, this is somewhere in the Sinai, northern Sinai region area, a picture. Is this where they fought? Don't know. It's just a picture. Okay, so here they are. So in essence, Moses comes. He comes to the top of the hill. Why don't you look down because you've got to see how your people are doing. So you're going to turn around. Okay, so Moses comes to the top of the hill, and Moses is there. He's looking a little bit bewildered right at the moment. (laughs) And it says, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. All right, boy. They're losing right now the way you're positioned. Okay, so, okay, so both hands. Okay, so he's holding up, holding it up. Okay, so, and keep holding, all right? 
So he's holding up. Now, think about this. What's really taking place is the battle is happening here. So Joshua's out there on the field with his people. They're fighting. You guys doing okay right now? Doing good. And the reason is because his hands are up. They were starting to come down, but the hands are up. Okay, the hands are up and they're coming and they're fighting out on the battlefield. Here's Moses up on the top, looking down and seeing what's taking place. Oh, listen, back in those days when they would pray, they would hold up their hands. And, and, and the, the, I think the reason that if we were culturally to put ourselves in the text right here, we would look at this and we would say that Moses, in essence, is praying to the Lord while holding up the power and the presence of the physical representation of the Lord there at that point in time. And Moses, if you will, is interceding on behalf of the people. And there it is. How are your arms doing? <laughs> They're getting a little tired, just as it happened with Moses. So when you put them down, go ahead and put them down. You know, I mean, just, I'll tell you, yesterday I was just kind of going through this, and I thought for fun, I'm just going to see how long it can hold up. And it was like, after a while, it's just shocking. You can't, it doesn't take long. So now your bud's over here hurting, so you got to get your hands back up. So, get, so Okay, so let's keep on reading here. Verse 11, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. So why don't you grab a, all right, grab a stone. Yeah, not off the edge. <laughs> grab a stone so Moses could sit on there. And, uh, so, and then they, they put it under him and sat on it while Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Okay, so guys, that's your job. Just hang there. All right, keep at it. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. But why is that there? This was a long time. This was a long time battle. I mean, and there they are out on the field. Joshua's out with his people fighting. These slaves had not been trained in this kind of thing before. And yet God is working. God is working. Uh, and, and Moses, as his hands are coming up, and the faith in the Lord, only through the Lord can this take place. Ben and or, uh, uh, her and, and uh, Aaron are there holding up his hands. I want to tell you, even holding up your hands after a while, your hands as the blood is going out is hard to hold them up. I'm just going to say, listen, if we're really trying to understand this text, and I'm not just doing this just for fun and picturing the reality of it, but also the reality of it is, is just with the hands there. And this is hours and hours. How long? I don't know. One hour, two hours, four hours, six hours? Don't know. But however long it was, this is what's taking place on the scene. Verse 13, And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Listen, God prevailed. What's happening here? How you doing there, JC? Good. Okay, I won't pray just to stay for a minute. Um, <laughs> there's two things here, folks, that are happening that are huge, and I just don't want for us to miss it. Two things are taking place. One is that these slaves that have been watching God work all the time, I mean, think about it, all the way through the plagues, they've been there just watching God do his thing. Now, they did the, they, they put the blood over the, the door frames of their homes and all that took place. But, but as far as their active involvement in the carrying out of God's work, never to this point yet. 
And even at the crossing of the Red Sea, they just are there. And in fact, if you remember before that, they're told, listen, you see the Pharaoh's army who's coming and about to attack and it looks like they're going to kill you? Listen, just stand firm and I'm going to take care of it. And God took care of it. And they got all the way across the sea. All this time, these have been people that have really been lightly engaged. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but as far as what's been required of them has been quite light. And now look, look at what's taking place. The Israelite nation is the second part. These people are becoming a nation. Not just individuals that have been redeemed, but people that are now being formed into something completely new and different that's never happened in their history to this point. And look at this. Here we've got this fearsome foursome. That's, that's being put into place. We've now got a military commander. We've Moses and Aaron have always kind of been there as the leaders, but hers coming on the scene. By the way, in the prior text before we saw Miriam, a prophetess, later on she's going to become important. And I'm just going to say, these four along with Miriam really become a key leadership structure that God uses with the people. Not only has God established leadership in place and the functioning of it, but the Israelites are going along and working along with it as well. I mean, there's men who are now actively engaged out on the battlefield. Obviously, from that, there are others who are men, women, who are supporting them with what's taking place. Listen, the whole team is getting, if you will, full throttle and starting out of place. And I just want to say, when we go back at the time from Exodus chapter 1, this is dramatically unlike any point in time with these people. And God is putting together a nation, a powerhouse for him. These impoverished, unpowerful people are now becoming an organized powerhouse for the Lord to work through them. Not just for them to watch God, not just to them say, look at Yahweh, but for them to be involved in Yahweh working through them on the earth. These folks eventually are supposed to become priests to the world. All of them. It's a dramatic move, a dramatic point in time, and things are different. You hanging in there? Why don't you come on down? Come on down. Thanks, Joshua. God is forming his people together. Let's keep on reading. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Write it as a memorial in the book, uh, uh, recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Uh, By the way, Genesis 27, God had promised that whoever curses his people, they will be cursed. Listen, folks, these people didn't deserve God's grace. It wouldn't be grace. But God is carrying through on his promised word. Verse 15, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. I love that. Yahweh is my flag. Yahweh is my sign. Yahweh is my signal. Now, back in those days, it's so interesting because this, what's being stated here, was actually a common thing that the Egyptians did. And in fact, in the various military 
arms of the Egyptian army because as polytheists, they had belief in so many gods that various divisions in the Egyptian army would have their literal own flag bearing the name of which god was their god for that troop. And here it is, Moses, is, God tells us, Moses, listen, here's the deal. Time to raise the banner. And my name's on it because you're my people. My hand is on you. You've seen me. You've participated in it. You're beginning in the process of realizing I'm now forming you into something and I want for you to know you are my people. Verse 16 The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This is just an amazing journey story. And I'm hoping that I'm trying to portray the incredible transformation that's taking place. Because I just got to tell you, for me personally, it just jazzes me up. Because look what God has done today with these people. He's continuing to school them. He's trying to help them see who he is. He's moving them along. He's now getting them involved in carrying out his plans and his, his will and his duties and himself on the face of the earth. They are no longer watchers. They are engaged team together kicking it out. What a journey. I just have to tell you, this has been an amazing, amazing journey. In fact, let's go to the next slide. This has been the journey that's happened for him. God's been showing himself. The next step was God saying, listen, participate with me. I'm still showing myself. Oh, by the way, this same pattern could be laid out for Moses. Think of Moses. Moses, if you will, in a different, in a different locations, God shows up on Mount Sinai for Moses. Unexpected. And then God says, listen, Moses, I've got a job for you. Do you want to participate? Moses had a choice to make. Moses makes a choice to go to Egypt. Then he gets to Egypt and he's involved with what's taking place. And along that, if you follow Moses' thought through that, he is in essence realizing, because God told him to go to Pharaoh. God told him that Pharaoh's going to reject you. But yet after he goes to Pharaoh, he comes back and he goes, God, like Moses rejected me. And God's like, well, duh, I told you that was going to be the case. But we see this realizing process of what it, what it looks like to live with him. And then through this, Moses is being formed into God's kind of leader. And at this point in time, just the next stage is happening. I would say this process as well has happened for Pharaoh. Moses comes and reveals to Pharaoh who God is, and he seeks to, God seeks to show himself to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. And all through the whole process of the plagues, God is saying again and again, if you remember, listen, I want for you to know that I am the Lord. God is seeking to show himself to them, and he asks them to participate. Listen, they had the chance to choose, But they got stuck in that cycle right there. Never got out of it. Never chose Yahweh because of hardened heart. And yet here the people are being moved along on this incredible journey. God shows himself. Uh, God calls for a participation in his plan. He uses life to help him. And God forms his people into a full throttle team. And Harvest, I I, I just want to say this today for us. I want this to be our story. I want this to be our story where we're positioned for an eternal impact 
I mean, a big, powerful, eternal impact for the Lord that's beyond what we can even comprehend. Not because we deserve it, but because He's big. People, once enslaved in sin to the prince of darkness, Ephesians chapter 2, people who are enslaved to sin to the prince of darkness, who come and receive Christ as their Savior, and by grace saved, forgiven. People who are coming in contact with the good news of Christ, People are choosing to participate in his redemptive plan. People who together were being schooled together. Listen, this is about living life together. You have struggles in life? Welcome. So, what's new? This is about being a team together, being schooled together, and a team that's forming itself to become a place that is full throttle engaged for Christ. So how does that happen? One, the whole thing for me today is I see this text. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you why, I'm kind of, why I've hit it from the angle I have here in just a moment. But one, I want for us to see the process. So often today, people view a, a relationship with Jesus Christ as an event in their life. And it's not just about an event in their life. There's a time where I came to realize that Jesus Christ had died for me, that I'm a sinner separated from God. And there came a moment in time where an event where I received Christ as Savior. Listen, that is huge. That's the starting point of a journey. And too often we have the mindset that that's a starting point and it ends there. No, God never intended it to be that way. If so, these people would have been brought across the Red Sea, whichever part of the Red Sea they were brought across, and they're over here, and God's like, good, got you out, all done. Woo, that was a job. Woo, next. That's not the plan. God's job was about bringing them, redeeming them out, and then building them into literally a nation that becomes priests to the world for his glory, which hasn't happened yet. One, do you see that God's redeeming work is about being redeemed and then living redeemed? And when we see it, then we have to acknowledge, where am I at in the process? I would say, listen, do you know that God has shown himself? Seriously, do you, do you know the God of the Bible? Not from what people say, not from this or that, but I'm talking about from what the scriptures say about the God of the Bible. And if you really don't know, wonderful. Find out. Someone would love to help you see what the scriptures say. And if that's where you're at, where you need to come to understand who the God of the scriptures is, come. Cool. Let's find him. If you've come to a place where you've seen the God of the Scriptures and you've, and you've said, I want to participate in this. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Uh, if that's taken place in your life, marvelous. If it hasn't yet, if you're in this cycle where it's God's got to show them a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, I just want to say, uh, look at the Egyptians. Just out of love, forewarning, God's all about showing Himself. But he's calling you to participate. Uh, third, uh, God, do you know that God wants you to grow? Or have you had the mindset that it's an event and then I just live until heaven? No, that's the wrong theology. That's bad theology. The idea is come to Christ and the journey begins. And then it's about life 
testing me and trialing me and growing me and helping me to become more like Christ like we talked about last week. It's a journey with Christ. And fourth, it's a journey together. Listen to me. God never, ever in his whole redemptive plan from uh, from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, God never lays out a plan where it's about saving individuals and then individuals just all off on their own doing their own little thing. It's always been about God coming and bringing together, if you will, in the Old Testament, a nation, Israel, uh, bringing Israel to be his people that God would work through them. Yes, God works through individuals, but there's the, the corporate reality. In the New Testament, we've come to see, and we're in this day and age, where God works through his church, the capital C church. And listen, I want to tell you, if, if you've been coming here for a while, and you've been like, you know, I, I think maybe this will be my church home, listen, I, can, I want to tell you something. This is a key time to jump in. We need you. I am telling you right now, this fall, we are in the process of forming ourselves. And that's why for me, these nine verses stuck out so much because God is working them, forming them, forming leadership, forming more and more structure for them to become an entity force for God. And this fall, we are in the process of moving ahead full throttle. Now, I've used this word full throttle a few times, like why? This is why. Because here in September, we're going, to be, we're going to be finishing our study in Exodus uh, the end of this month. It is August now, isn't it? Yeah, the end of this month. And in September, we're going to be starting a study through the, the letter to Titus, Paul's letter to Titus. And here's what's so cool about it. The reason I picked that letter is because basically Paul tells Titus, as he has left him in Crete, Titus, listen, if you want to be, as I'm calling it, a full-throttled church there in Crete for Christ, here's stuff that needs to be put into place. Here's the kind of leadership that needs to have. Here's the kind of people that it needs to be. Here's the mindset that you need to have. Here's how you need to be functioning together, both within your church and outside your church. And this fall, we're going to Titus because I want this place to be team harvest full throttle we're not there yet by any means i mean we're only a year and a half old so much like the israelites do you realize exodus chapter 17 from the time moses showed up to where they are in exodus chapter 17 is right about a year and a half i'm not going weird with that I'm just saying it's just interesting to me that God's been working and then God is all of a sudden forming them together into people for his glory. And I just want to let you know, listen, people redeemed in Christ that come together, that put it on the line for him, full throttle. God can do a work. But if you know anything about what happens with the Israelites from here on out, God can also not do a work. In fact, these people become a sputtering clunker, word for the present day, for 40 years. Let's not be that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for just the beauty and the joy of your redemptive work. Father, I thank you so much for your patience with us. I thank you so much for the opportunity we have in you. You have given us a time and a place 
and a purpose and a people and a savior to banner high. To hold high. To be reminded by the flag. It's not about me. Not about my comfort. It is about the God of this people. And Lord, I pray that there would not be other things that would become our gods, not facilities, not programs, not stuff, not our own agenda, but you. We've got a lot to learn. And I'm really glad you're the one who wants us to learn it. We need your help. I would pray in this coming months as we form together leadership, as we form together plans for the future, Father, help us. Give us wisdom. Give us humility. Give us passion and help us to get off ourselves and to wave your banner and to fling that baby high and wild in joy for you. Father, as we just kind of finish with a a time of quietness and as we leave here today, just as we started out the service with the acoustic music, that we'd just be reminded how beautiful it is to have you as our banner. It's a beautiful thing. Lord, may we be content in it, thankful in it, and cranked up in it. Pray this week we would really do some evaluation of where are we at. Are we seeing a process taking place in our lives? Are we advancing? Are we taking the next step? Lord, for those who are, and there's so many here that are doing that, God, I rejoice. Oh, may they persevere and continue. Lord, for those who are struggling right now, struggling either to figure out, struggling either through a test of life, struggling through just not advancing. Father, I pray that they would come to see that they're never been intended to do it alone. But we're a team, helping each other as we wave that banner high. So Lord, we leave this morning waving the banner with Yahweh on it, hearts full, eyes excited, mouths speaking truth, and hearts pumping it in joy for you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Well, folks, have a marvelous day. You are loved and God is big. Amen.